As you already know, Rick Owens is not with us this morning. He is recovering from some spinal injections for his back. His doctor demanded that he be down for three days after those, so that's why Rick is not here. But we are blessed to have another Rick with us, uh, Brother Rick Lawson. Uh, Brother Rick Lawson graduated from the Memphis School of Preaching in 1999 uh, before Rick Owens attended there. Uh, and Rick uh, is a faithful gospel preacher currently at the Daresville congregation. He's been there for five years. And we look forward and appreciate Brother Rick being with us today. Come preach to us, Rick. been a good day already today. We've had a great Bible class together and enjoyed a wonderful time of singing and uh, beautiful prayer. We appreciate everybody who has participated up to this point in worship. Uh, several things have impressed me about this congregation already, and I'm not going to go through a long list, but I want to say a couple of things. Number one, you're very kind hospitality. Uh, you treat your visitors wonderfully, and I appreciate that. It's great to be here with you. Uh, I also enjoy being in a congregation that sings like they want to go to heaven. Uh, that's, uh, that sometime can be lacking in our brotherhood. And I appreciate your enthusiasm uh, in joining in with these songs that we've sung to God's high and holy name. Another thing I enjoy is a congregation that loves their preacher. And so many of you have talked about Brother Owens and the good work that he's doing here and uh, the excitement that he brought with him and, and his great family when they moved here to begin this work and, uh, and the strides you're making here, and I appreciate that so much. And I wish all the best for you and for him as he works here with you. Uh, I know you appreciate your great godly preacher and his hard work here, and I'm thankful for the opportunity to be able to stand in uh, for him this morning. The only reason I am able to be here is because we have uh, a young man from Adairsville who is at the Memphis School of Preaching right now, and they're at that uh, short break before their summer session starts. And so he's come home to see his family, and he's preaching for me this morning at Adairsville. And so when I heard about Brother Owens and uh, the trouble with his back, I thought, well, this is a perfect opportunity not only for me to go down uh, Sunday morning, but for Drew and I to switch places on Sunday night. And so he'll be here tonight speaking for Brother Owens, and I'll be back home in Adairsville. But I know that you will love Brother Suttles and his preaching. He's a very talented young man before he ever went to the Memphis School of Preaching. And uh, he came back to, uh, to preach for us at Adairsville and quoted about 75 scripture, I think, in his last sermon. And I got up and I said, uh, it feels like we sent you to Memphis as an EMT and you came back as a brain surgeon. <laughs> and so uh, I appreciate your encouragement of that young man as he preaches the gospel. Let me say to all the godly fathers out there this morning, Happy Father's Day. You know, if there's, if there's one thing this world needs more of, it is godly fathers uh, that realize the responsibility that they have to lead their home uh, and to do so in a way that God would be pleased with. Open up your Bibles, if you will, this morning to the book of 1 Thessalonians. And in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 11, the Apostle Paul is going to use the illustration of fatherhood to try to teach some spiritual lessons to these brethren at the church in Thessalonica. 1 Thessalonians chapter 2 and verse number 11, Paul writes, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you as a father 
doth his children. And so the Apostle Paul then uses the physical idea of fatherhood to try to get across some spiritual lessons to these brethren in Thessalonica that he loved so dearly. And when you read through 1 Thessalonians and 2 Thessalonians as well, you see in almost every verse the loving care and concern that Paul had for those brethren that he helped teach the truth to in Thessalonica. And so what I want to do for a little while this morning is turn that illustration back around. He used the idea of fatherhood to teach spiritual things, but I want to look at some of the spiritual things that he taught for the brethren in Thessalonica that we can apply to those of us who are fathers, uh, who are working with our families and our homes. So these are characteristics of a good father as we notice from reading what Paul had to write to the church in Thessalonica. Number one, it's interesting to me that the Apostle Paul was not married, nor did he have children. And so he wasn't a father himself, but he had a father. He said he was a Pharisee and the son of a Pharisee. And so there's not much we know about uh, Paul's earthly father. But we do know that Paul called himself the son of a Pharisee. The Pharisees were among the strictest sect of the Jewish religion during the time of Christ. And so there's, uh, there's no doubt that this, uh, this very highly devoutly religious man raised up this young man uh, to be the kind of person that he thought God wanted him to be. He raised Saul of Tarsus up to be a fine Jewish boy. And Saul worked very hard for the Jewish religion before he converted to Christianity. I don't know if he ever converted his parents. The Bible just does not say about any of that. But the truth of the matter is, you don't have to be a, you don't have to be a father to know how to be a good father. You don't have to even have a good father to know how to be a good father. Sometimes I hear people, especially new parents, say, Well, this baby didn't come with an instruction manual. I don't know what to do. I don't, I don't know how to be a good parent. But you know what? That's not really true, is it? There is an instruction manual, and we have it right here. If you want to learn to be a good Christian, if you want to learn to be a good person, if you want to be a, learn to be a good parent, all you have to do is study this book and apply the lessons that you find therein. 2 Timothy three fifteen through 17 says, And from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation, through faith which is in Jesus uh, Christ Jesus. All scripture is given by inspiration of God, and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto every good work. And so, the Bible gives you what you need in order to be a good parent. That's true if you're trying to be a good mother, a good father, a good grandmother or grandfather, or whatever your work here is. Maybe you don't even have children. Maybe you're an aunt or an uncle, or great aunt or great uncle. None of that matters. You can have a positive influence on everybody around you if you simply follow the Word of God. Here's some facts I looked up about children without fathers. And these are several years old, but I tell you, I don't think it's getting any better. It's probably getting worse. But these are some, fact, some facts that I put together some time ago. 
85% of the children in juvenile detention facilities are raised in homes without fathers. Isn't that a staggering statistic? 70% of juveniles from fatherless homes are in some kind of state institution. 71% of teen pregnancies come from homes where there is no father. 71% of high school dropouts are from fatherless homes. 75% of children in uh, drug abuse centers are from fatherless homes. And 90% of runaway and homeless children are from homes where there is no father present. Now that shows the power of having a godly father in the home. It's no guarantee that your children are going to turn out well, but it certainly it makes great strides along that path if you have a father who's there and engaged. I say that because there are many families who do have fathers at home, but for all practical purposes, they're without fathers too. Sometimes fathers are always at work, working 60, 70, 80 hours a week to provide big fancy houses and nice new cars or fancy clothes or the newest computers or iPods or whatever those children think they need when they really need their father at home with them. We need to be there for our children. Harvard University did a study and found out that on average fathers spend less than 37 seconds a day of meaningful interaction with their children. That is a crying shame and it is a recipe for disaster. The devil knows where to attack us to do the most damage. And I'll tell you something, brethren, he's attacking us in our homes. And it starts with the head of the home, which is the father. What can we learn as we read through this letter of 1 Thessalonians? about fatherhood. Number one, we learn that a good father prays for his children. You know, we certainly see that with the Apostle Paul in the church at Thessalonica. He says in 1 Thessalonians chapter 1 and verse number 2, we give thanks to God always for you all, making mention of you in our prayers. And then in 1 Thessalonians 3, verses 9 and 10, For what thanks can we render to God again for you, for all the joy wherewith uh, we joy for your sakes before our God, night and day praying exceedingly that we might see your face and might uh, perfect that which is lacking in your faith. Paul says, I'm praying for you, brethren, day and night so that you can spiritually be what you ought to be. Fathers, how often do you pray for your family? How often do you pray for your wife? How often do you pray for your children? Are you praying that they will uh, become stronger in the faith? Are you teaching them to, to be prayer warriors themselves? Do you believe in the power of prayer or not? The Bible says that it is a spiritual blessing that we enjoy in Christ Jesus that nobody outside the church enjoys. And here we are, not praying the way we should for our families, for ourselves to be the kind of leaders that we ought to be in our homes. We ought to be ashamed. We should love God so much that we treat Him like we would our physical fathers. You know, my dad... 
uh, died when I was quite young. I was 20 when he passed away. He died at the age of 49. And so many times down through the years since then, I wish that I had his advice and his instruction, his wisdom. I wish I had talked to him more when I had the opportunity. And now that opportunity's gone. Well, you have the opportunity to talk to your Heavenly Father. You have the opportunity to express your gratitude to Him, to pray for your children, that they would be strengthened, to pray for your family. A good father prays for his children. Number two, a good father cares gently and affectionately for his children. 1 Thessalonians 2, verses 7 and 8, Paul says, But we were gentle among you, even as a nurse cherisheth her children. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were willing to have imparted unto you not the gospel of God only, but also our own souls, because you were dear to us. Dad, do you care for your children in this gentle, affectionate way? Or do you just kind of shuffle all that off on mom? <laughs> you know, that's, that's the easy way out. Because most of the time we feel like we're the breadwinners and we're doing 40 hours in the factory or 60 hours at the office or whatever it is and we come home, we want to put our feet up and watch television and take it easy and leave all the, the things that have to do with our children to mom to, to take care of. Number one, that's not right. Number two, it's not fair. We're the leaders in our home, we need to act like that. We need to care for our children, be affectionate toward them. He uses the, uh, the illustration here of a nurse cherishing her children. You know, I've got some, uh, some friends that have little baby infants right now. Little babies. And uh, those little babies are little bundles of joy, except they cry and eat all the time. <laughs> and you've got to keep them warm and keep them fed and keep them safe. That's the idea. That's the picture there. He's putting in our minds about fatherhood. And he says we need to be more nurturing. We need to be more caring. We need to be more affectionate to our children. Now I'm not saying that you grant their every wish and raise them up to be snowflakes. Uh, that's not what I'm talking about. Sometimes they need tough love. Sometimes that's the right way to be affectionate. But we've got to do it. Don't be like, don't let your family be like some of these statistics that we read about. If anybody has strong, successful, well-taught children, it ought to be members of the church of Christ who have those kind of children. We are the ones who follow God's path. And so take care of your children. Number three, a good father doesn't want to be a burden to his children. That's the way Paul felt about the brethren in Thessalonica. First uh, Thessalonians chapter 2, verse number 6, he says, Nor of men sought we glory, neither of you nor yet of others, when we might have been burdensome as apostles of Christ. In verse number 9 he says, For ye remember, brethren, our labor and travail for laboring night and day, because we would not be chargeable unto any of you, we preached unto you the gospel of God. 
In the next letter, 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 8 and 9, he says, Neither did we eat any man's bread for naught, but wrought with labor and travail night and day, that we might not be chargeable to any of you, not because we have not power, but to make ourselves an example unto you to follow us. And so here's what he said. When I came to preach there, uh, I didn't want to be a burden to you. I didn't, uh, I didn't want to, to be chargeable to you. I didn't want to be a drag uh, on your uh, resources, on your finances, on your emotions. I wanted to be a rock for you, not a ball and chain for you. And that's the way we need to be for our families. You know, we ought to have a servant's heart as fathers. We ought to realize the tremendous responsibility we have to be leaders in the home. And Jesus said, the way to be the greatest is to humble yourself. The way to be first is to put yourself last. Now, that doesn't mean leading from behind, as our previous president talked about sometimes. It means being the kind of leader that God wants you to be. It means doing what God requires of you to make sure that your family is doing what they're supposed to do. And so Paul did not want to be a burden to his children, and neither do we want to be a burden to our children. You know, as I get older, I see more and more about that. I think more and more about that, not wanting to be a burden to my children. But uh, you know what? The Bible also teaches for children to honor their father and mother. And so uh, children should not feel burdened by taking care of their parents. But the parents still don't want to seem like a burden to their children. Good father doesn't want to be a burden, but he wants to be a leader and teach them the things that God wants them to have. Uh, number four, a good father is also an, a good example for his children. Uh, the Apostle Paul said in 1 Thessalonians 2 verse 10, Ye are witnesses, and God also, how holily and justly and unblameably we behaved ourselves among you that believe. In chapter 1 verses 6 and 7 he says, Ye became followers of us and of the Lord, having received the word in much affliction with joy of the Holy Ghost, so that ye were examples to all that believe in Macedonia and Achaia. And so what does Paul say? He said, I lived in such a way that you could follow my example, and then when you follow in my footsteps, other people can follow in yours. And so, dads, your family is watching you. They know you better than anybody else in this whole world. The only person that, that, that knows you better than your family is God. Don't think that you can put on a front to everybody around you and put out this outwardly religious facade when your heart's not really in it and think you can fool your family. That's not the way it works. I remember when Jesus called the Pharisees of His day whited sepulchers. That's like a tomb that they whitewashed, painted it all pretty on the outside. Jesus said, inside it's full of dead men's bones. Your kids know if you're full of dead men's bones. Your family knows if you're just trying to pull the wool over people's eyes. You can't hide it from them. 
And so you better be a good example for your children. They won't, they won't follow if you say, do as I say and not as I do. That's not the way it works. You have to be a good example. You know, I'm reminded of the story about uh, the person who uh, used the excuse of hypocrites. Why won't you come worship with us? Why aren't, you, why aren't you faithful in your service to God, in your worship anymore? And this person said, well, uh, there's hypocrites down there in the church. He happened to be a farmer that raised pigs. And so the preacher heard that excuse and he asked him if he had any pigs for sale. He said, yes, I just got a litter ready. And so he went over to his house and he looked at that litter of pigs and there was one that was a runt that was a little skinny, scrawny, sickly looking thing. And he said, that's the one that I want to buy. And he said to the preacher, why do you want to buy that one? That's the worst one there. And the preacher said, well, I'm going to buy that little runt and I'm going to go around all around town. I'm going to show everybody that's the kind of pigs you sell. And the farmer said, no, I don't want you to do that. And he said, that's what you're doing to the church. You're judging the church by the worst one you can find instead of by the best. You see, you be that good example for your children. Don't be an excuse for somebody else, especially somebody as close to you as your own family. You be a good example so that when they're walking in your footsteps, they'll be walking in Jesus' footsteps. That's what good fathers do. They are an example for their children. Number five, we also find from this letter that a good father works with his children, teaches them the things that they need to, to know. You know, that was really the whole purpose behind this letter, wasn't it? Every letter of the New Testament is didactic. It is teaching. Uh, it is a teaching uh, letter for doctrine. And so in 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verses 11 and 12, the apostle writes, As ye know how we exhorted and comforted and charged every one of you, as a father does his children, that ye should walk worthy of God who hath called you unto his kingdom and glory. Paul says, I'm going to teach. I'm going to tell you what you need so that you can enjoy the glory that God has prepared for you. Later on in chapter 4, verse number 1, he says, Furthermore then, we beseech you, brethren, and exhort you by the Lord Jesus, as ye have received of us, how ye ought to walk and please God, so uh, we would abound more and more. Down in verse number 10, he says, And indeed, ye do it toward all the brethren which are in all Macedonia, but we beseech you, brethren, that ye increase more and more. In chapter 5, verse 14, he says, Now we exhort you, brethren, warn them that are unruly, comfort the feeble-minded, support the weak, be patient toward all men. You see, Christians need instruction from God. And the parallel is that children need instruction from their father. And so Paul was going to give these brethren what they needed, and we must give our children what they need. Not necessarily what's popular, not necessarily what they want or what they think they need, but what they actually need. When you open your eyes and look around you, what you will find is a world that seems to be drifting further and further and further away from truth, away from God, away from righteousness, away from God's plan for raising happy, successful, godly, faithful children. And instead of 
the father being the head of the home and the mother being a keeper of the home and a, uh, a one who helps train up the children in the way they should go, man has flipped it around and made the children the boss and do whatever they say. And if they scream loud enough, they get the ice cream before supper. Or whatever the demand is, they can often get their way by exerting, exerting their authority and power over the parents. That's not the way it's supposed to be. You're supposed to be the teacher. Because they're little sponges, and they don't learn anything except what they're taught. And so when they learn that they can rule the roost, if they want to, and they try too hard enough, that's what they're going to do. We've got we've to teach our children that which, what they, that which they need. That's what Paul did, and that's what God wants us to do as well. Number six, a good father wants to be with his children. Paul wanted to be with these brethren. Uh, in, in chapter 2, verses 17 and 18, he says, But we, brethren, being taken from you for a short time in presence, not in heart, endeavored the more abundantly to see your face with great desire. Wherefore we would have come unto you, even I, Paul, once and again, but Satan hindered us. Paul said, I want to be there for you so badly. I want to be there to teach you and to train you and to help you and to support you and encourage you in your Christian walk. But Satan hindered him. You know, Satan will try to hinder us every way he can. He hinders us through what our kids learn in school. He hinders us from what they see on the internet and what they see on the TV screen and what they go to when they see when they go to the movies and the kind of music that they listen to and the video games that they play. Satan has so many tools to hinder us today from, from doing what we need to do and from being where we need to be. Dad, what do you put in front of your kids? That's really what it comes down to. Is it work? If you put work before your kids, you're, you're putting work too high on the totem pole. If you put sports before your kids, that's the wrong priorities. You see, God comes first, and our family ought to come second. That's the way that it works. Seek ye first the kingdom of God and His righteousness, and all these things shall be added unto you, Matthew six thirty three. You have to put God first, but family ought to come next. And anything else that we put before our family can be a distraction from us, uh, for us, and we'll end up losing our family if we're not careful. Sometimes I hear people say, uh, in their opinion, Noah was a failure because he only saved, uh, only eight of them got on the ark. I say Noah saved his family. He was successful. He got his wife on there and his three sons and their three daughters, and that was enough to replenish the, enough to replenish the earth. He succeeded in his mission. And if we can save our families... Uh, we ought to feel very successful in this life. But we've got to, we've got to want to be with them and put them first. Uh, 1 Thessalonians chapter 3, verses 5 and 6, he says, For this cause, when I could no longer forbear, I sent to know your faith, lest by some means the tempter have tempted you, and our labor be in vain. But now when Timotheus came from you unto us, and brought us good tidings of your faith and charity, and that ye have good remembrance of us always, desiring greatly to see us, and also uh, as we to see you. They want to see each other. 
That's a beautiful thing in a family when the dad wants to be with the kids and the kids want to be with the dad. The family wants to be together. It's a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's the way God wants it to be. Next, a good father rejoices in his children. That was certainly what Paul did there. First uh, Thessalonians 2, verses 19 and 20. What is our hope or joy or crown of rejoicing? Are not even ye in the presence of our Lord Jesus Christ that is coming? For ye are our glory and our joy. Uh, Chapter 3, verse 9, For what thanks can we render to God again for you? For all the joy wherewith we joy for your sakes before our God. Fathers, is your, is your family your joy? Are your children the reason you rejoice in this life? That's the way it ought to be. We ought to rejoice in our children. And then finally, a good father loves his children. 1 Thessalonians 3 and verse number 12, The Lord make you to increase and abound in love toward one another and toward all men, even as we do toward you. This is really what it all comes down to, and it's about love. Fathers loving their children, their families, their wives first, and their children as well. Raising them up in the nurture and admonition of the Lord so that those fathers can go to heaven but so can those children and those grandchildren and great-grandchildren right on down the line till the Lord comes back. That's what a good father can do in this life if he will focus on spiritual things and not worry so much about the material things in this life. You know, some of the strongest, most, most faithful Christians that I know grew up dirt poor. You see, it really doesn't matter what you have in this life. It matters what you do in this life. It matters what you are. Are you a faithful child of God? And so, dads, I ask you, are you a good father? Did you have a good father? If you're not a dad, then you ought to be thankful for that. But I tell you this, if you're a Christian, you have the greatest father there is, and that is a spiritual father in heaven. Our physical fathers can make mistakes, and do, because they're not perfect either. But you serve a heavenly Father that is perfect in every way and wants the very best for you. As a matter of fact, He wants for you a home in heaven when this life is over and the judgment is passed. That's why He sent His Son and sacrificed Him on the cross of Calvary so that we could have the hope of heaven when this life is over and the judgment is passed. Were it not for the blood of Christ that could wash us in our sins. Revelation 1 verse 5, there'd be no hope for us. And so the Father loves the whole world so much that He sent His Son to die. John three sixteen. What a beautiful thought, what a beautiful idea that we have a Heavenly Father who loves us. I appreciate our godly dads. I know there are many, many of them in this audience today. And I appreciate you and the good work that you do in training up your family, leading your family the way they're supposed to, and doing what God wants you to do. But if you haven't been doing that, now's the time to start. If you're here and you're not a Christian, you need to obey the gospel and become a child of God through obedience to the gospel plan of salvation. It's not mine. It's not the church's. It's the Lord's plan of salvation. He revealed it to us in His Word. 
We must hear the Word of God, Romans 10, 17. Believe that Jesus is the Son of God, John 3, 16. Have enough faith to repent of your sins, Luke 13, verses 3 and 5. Come forward confessing the name of Christ before men, just like the Ethiopian eunuch did in Acts chapter 8 and verse 37, when he said, I believe that Jesus Christ is the Son of God, and then be immersed in water for the remission of your sins, Acts 2 and verse 38. We can help you do that today, we want to. And if you're here as a Christian... You realize that you haven't been walking in the footsteps of Jesus. You haven't been doing what God wants you to do while you're here. Now's the time to come back through repentance and prayer. If we can pray with you and for you, we'll be happy to do that. If you'll let us know of your need, as together we stand and as we sing.